Hello there again, and welcome into the uh, second part of the Me and Earl and the Dying Girl episode, bonus episode, uh, here on Film Tank. I uh, hope you listened to the first part and uh, before you listen to part two, but uh, we'll be doing spoilers for the uh, Me and Earl and the Dying Girl. Not necessarily that we're just going to be naming off things that happened in the movie, but we're going to have more of a conversation about the film and uh, what happened in it. And since it uh, doesn't come out for a while, we wanted to give people the opportunity to listen to a review of the movie without necessarily talking about things at length. So um, to start with, since this film is about a relationship between uh, the main character, Greg and uh, the other character, Rachel, who has cancer in this movie. Uh, and this is a spoiler type episode. Um, she dies. Yeah, <laughs> just right out there and say it. Just put it there. Uh, she does die, which I feel like when you're watching this film, I don't know how a, especially a, not necessarily like a seasoned film viewer, but somebody who, who watches lots of movies like both me and you do. Um, I don't know how you couldn't think that that was the obvious conclusion of the story. Yeah, there was a few moments where I was starting to get worried about like a general public's reaction because he starts the film saying that he met this girl and that he made a film that killed her. Mm-hmm. So like if, he, if they were truly going to back down from that, that was going to be my final straw. And I probably would have literally disliked the movie just because <laughs> you can't serve that up and not deliver. Um, what is weird though is uh, throughout the movie, because his narration continues, is that he does start to make allusions like, don't worry, she doesn't die, which... I, you know, looking back on it, it's one of those things where I, I'm, I, I feel 50-50 about because on the one hand, I totally understand as far as, like, that's just his mental process, obviously, is while he's going through this uh, event that was kind of him in the present, like, oh, like, he's convinced himself that she's not going to die because obviously he doesn't want her to die, mm-hmm. but unfortunately, reality is going to take its fate. Uh, but on the other hand, it's it's also just kind of bad writing because uh, <laughs> it's just and it's really a minor thing, so it really doesn't bother me that much. Yeah. But yeah, like you can't have your film start off with that great hook, like my film killed a girl, and then just somehow ten minutes later and ten minutes after that and so on and so forth, just keep saying, "Don't worry, she's not going to die." So, I guess because of those two tones or those two different, I would say, contradicting thoughts. I never once thought that she was not going to die because, well, if it had been the opposite, like if she survived, that that would have been a whole different movie and I would not have liked it as much. Mm-hmm. Um, but it is kind of a weird cognitive dissonance that I could understand like a general mainstream audience going to see this and then getting kind of upset that like the film didn't know what it wanted to do up until the moment where it was, in my opinion, and I'm sure and you saw it too, that it was always going to kill her off. Yeah. Well, and what you were talking about, about the film and Greg, who is giving terrific narration through through the entire film, from what I thought, especially if you've heard the first part, you know how much I enjoy the first half hour of this movie. I feel like his narration is very strong, and it's strong throughout the film, but it's it gets a little weaker as the movie goes on. Yeah, that's because he's getting quieter, because he's getting more and more depressed mm-hmm. uh, with what's happening. Which is, again, a film device, which is totally understandable. In the film, when I mentioned in the first episode that we had our discussion on, um, yeah. I mentioned how Rachel disappears from this movie, and that is literally true. However, if you were listening to that, or if you've seen the movie, you know that I'm actually not referring to the 
fact that she dies, but I'm referring to the fight that they have uh, mm-hmm. in her bedroom, which is one of my favorite scenes of the entire well, movie. Well, that's a very put a camera somewhere and let the actress perform for five to seven minutes, and it right. it, that, it was a really strong scene, which I'm assuming that they thought it was going to be. So yeah, no, that's the kind of scene that a movie like The Fault in Our Stars or the book, and I haven't read the book, but is missing, which is that at some point things are going to get ugly. Because mm-hmm. you're going to be facing realities you don't want to face. And uh, the sad part is about human relationships. Is at the end of the day, you're going to hurt the people you kind of care about the most because you're not going to be able to watch yourself around them. So when he told her, well, then why don't you just die? I mean, you know, like that is a brutal, brutal uh, thing, to, of course, for him to say to her. And it's immature on his part. And yet mm-hmm. nobody comes out of that scene, in my opinion, looking like a bad person because they're just unfortunately none of them know how to process what's happening and greg is definitely not equipped <laughs> to uh to process something like that and um so i just like love that scene and so what i was talking about earlier was after that scene greg is of course not speaking to her because he's being a baby <laughs> and um, since she's given up on the chemo and whatnot and is going to accept her fate he's then just kind of removed from her life so that was kind of the part that I just thought, like, I don't know, like, I can understand that the movie's about Greg. However, like, like one check-in to, to, to show that she's a human being, too. And she's yeah. not just Greg's imaginary friend. Like, it's not a Calvin and Hobbes get cancer story or something <laughs> like that. Um, like, I, I would have appreciated a little bit more of acknowledgement on the film's part that this is Greg's story, but Rachel is a human being, too. And she's probably scared shitless, as she should be and whatnot. Um but I think that segues... Oh. It, it does into what I was originally going to say, which is that the the inclusion of him saying, well, she's going to die, or she's not going to die. Don't worry, she'll be fine. I hated that whole part of it. I could have dealt without that. And part of the narration, which we were talking about earlier, yeah. uh, that you said you were 50-50 on, and I am 100% thought it was stupid when which, it comes down to the end of the movie, which it makes no real sense. I, which I totally see like i i don't excuse it whatsoever Mm -hmm. it just didn't bother me as much as maybe a a worse film would have Mm -hmm. like if it had not been like obviously good performances and whatnot it would have stuck out even more to me or whatever but at the end of the day i I guess because i went completely with his mental journey which is every time he said it i'm like oh he's in denial so Mm -hmm. like i never once went obviously and took it on face value right oh well i guess she's not gonna die (laughs) i guess cancer's not gonna rear its ugly head um because i because I just went with it as yeah. how I thought it was going to happen. Luckily, everything happened the way I thought it was going to happen, and therefore there was no cheap tricks or anything like that. I mean, it is a cheap trick in and of itself, so mm-hmm. it is kind of sloppy writing. So I totally understand what you're saying. But. Well, and I, I guess we come to find out that the entire story that we're being told is, is him writing this letter which to... Is the stupidest... <laughs> I'm sorry, but so many... Oh my god! I don't. I can't tell you how many high school coming of age makes their the crux of the narrative be your college admission essay. Like that's. The, I mean, it wasn't exactly that because there was actual drama regarding whether he gets into college or whatever. But that's mm-hmm. that's what it was. Yeah. Um, so that was one of the weak points of my, which is like that is that was probably the most like in your face. Like now, it's just every other high school movie because like why you know like why couldn't you just been writing a movie like. That would have actually that would have made a lot more sense. Would have made a lot more sense, and like it would have been not 
completely that clever, but it just, yeah, it would have made sense. It would have been in character, and it would have been kind of fitting because now he was going to finally make, I think, the movie he wanted to make right. for her, and it was just going to be about her. Like, I thought that would have been perfect. I don't know if you thought that. I, I It would have made a lot more sense for the story, and it would have also made sense for him as a person because he's going through this entire film talking about how he has no interest in going to college. He's really only wanting to go to college to do this. And if he sort of made that decision after all this happened to, I have been saying this whole time that I don't want to go to college and they're trying to force me to, but I'm just going to do what I want to do anyways and make this film about the story that happened to me. It would have made more sense for him as a person where he would have grown into actually making that decision that he doesn't want to go to college based on real life experience and not just being lazy and not wanting to go to school. Or even if they just showed it a little more realistically because he's applying to a university. Like, I don't know, if they just even would have did a tiny five-second epilogue of him returning to a to his home or something from like a community college like he's compromising like mm-hmm. he's not whatever I feel like that would have even been realistic too but he was then coming home to write the screenplay that you know like I feel like a good little mixture like she did have an effect on him but mm-hmm. she did not obviously change his entire world because the human beings are kind of immune to that kind of seismic challenge or change or whatever yeah um, one thing I do want to bring up uh, is the death scene itself I um you know, there's a whole subplot throughout the running through the movie that because they make these movies, um, what is the character's name? The, the Her character's name is Madison, and she's okay. played by an actress named Catherine C. Hughes. Okay, well, the Madison character kind of ropes uh, Greg, almost guilts him into it, basically, into uh, making a movie for Rachel, because she's saying that, like, Rachel, they become such good friends, and you know, Rachel loves these silly little movies that he makes that it would be the ultimate gift to give her before she sadly passes away. And that's where Greg's immaturity definitely comes to a head because he just can't deal with the fact that in making this movie, he's acknowledging the fact that she's going to die. So of course he drags his feet, drags his feet in making it and whatnot. But what I thought was, and ultimately makes a different movie than he probably was thinking he was going to make at the beginning of the whole process. Yeah, no, and so what I thought was great was the idea that, you know, he comes to the, it's prom night, which is also a cliche, but whatever, <laughs> um, and he decides instead of going with Madison, the hot girl, which was, if I could take a slight detour, that was the only, that was one of the bigger sticking points for me was that one of the things, of course, because he's a 17-year-old guy, shy, mm-hmm. and whatnot, is that he, of course, wants a girlfriend desperately, and he thinks that Madison is super hot and that she'll solve all of his life's problems. And um, I will admit the film doesn't go full, whatever you want to call it, but it does throw him a bone by um, by having a scene where she basically asks him to prom. And I will, like you can kind of get the sense that maybe she's doing it out of pity and she's just trying to be nice and whatever. So it's not like a some kind of like he won the girl or anything. But I would have been fine if he just never, if Madison never wanted to talk to him again because I feel like that's what would happen in real life. And it would have been a good life lesson for him. But anyway, when he goes, it seems like he's going to go to the prom with Madison because the film is trying to trick you into thinking that is going to happen. He actually ends up taking his limo to the hospital. And this is the first time he'll have seen Rachel since their fight. And he's brought her the completed movie. And what I thought was so great about this movie, it's kind of like a Wes Anderson thing where this is the kind of thing that would never happen in real life. But mm-hmm. It's just so beautiful that why can you, as a filmmaker, you know, you can't pass this up. So when he drapes the, not drapes, but when he gets the the film to project on the wall and they're just watching this very 
art film. You know, it makes no sense, but it's got a lot of pretty colors and whatever. Well, and also the film as it's going on has a lot more, not of the claymation, but a lot of animated things, which you'll see the making of that movie throughout, but you have no idea exactly what he's doing. Right. But you kind of see it, and you, you won't know it when you see it, and then when you first see the film, but when you see the final product of it. And you realize that's where he was putting all that stuff. But the the first, you know, 20 seconds of the film, which shows a lot of the characters just kind of making normal faces and whatever, I actually was kind of into that because I feel like it goes into um, previous experiences as the, you know, audiences had with these characters and seeing them pop back up. And they are also characters that are in Rachel's life also. Uh, I felt that was very interesting, and I, I, w- I would say it was kind of like a like a touchy moment or whatever, but I, it, it did it for me. I enjoyed that part of it, and the rest of the film also is really... And I'm talking about the film that Greg makes for Rachel, not me and her own The Dying Girl. Right. But it's, um, it's definitely very interesting. And an- another part of it, and I'm guessing you would have went into it, is that you're not just sitting there watching this film. You're, you're seeing the images that are happening, but you're also seeing the reactions on both Greg and Rachel's face during this film. And there's there's no talking during the entire scene, which is also great. Yeah, and when that film is happening and it does cut back to them, and because it's a projector, it's, it's just so beautiful to see these colors wash over them while they are basically having their last moment together on this earth. Uh, while that's happening, and then even to the point where when the when the nurse and the doctor gets called in mm-hmm. uh, because unfortunately she starts to well, I don't really know the medical she starts thing. to slip into a coma for right. the most part. Oh yeah, because yeah. they didn't mention she she went into a coma. And yeah, she, she died like a day later. Or mm-hmm. something. So yeah, so when she starts to slip into that coma <laughs> during his movie, so he was right in the beginning when he said that his uh, his movie, well, not literally, <laughs> but that's what I mean. They 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 paid that off. Um, but when, even when that's happening, what, what I love and what just gets back to that kind of fantasy in real life thing is that nobody turns that video off. So while this is happening, and nobody even turns on the lights either. Mm-hmm. So while they're trying to resuscitate her and trying to figure out what's going wrong, like you still have these gorgeous colors washing the entire room in them. And, and it just, for me, it was very emotional and just wonderfully, uh, just wonderfully choreographed. It was just my probably my favorite scene in the entire movie. And I could totally see why that's most people's favorite scene because it's definitely the culmination of this entire film. And you're seeing a film that he created, which not that um, not that he had trouble because he did obviously have trouble making it, whether it be he didn't want to. But um, we talked about his previous movies that he did with Earl were all taken from other movies. From most of them from the Criterion Collection, whether it be um, The Conversation or a number of other movies. But he's really making this off of the events of his... Re- like, he has to actually make a film. Right, which... he wasn't making a joke, because that's all his other films are. They're just one-note jokes, but they're done throughout the, <laughs> the entire movie. Right. And um, another payoff is what we were talking about, that you see clips from these movies throughout, is that Rachel gets to watch these movies throughout the film so you're seeing it as she is seeing them for the most part and it's it's a cool way of not only greg showing a bit of himself to rachel but also 
the audience getting to see these and not just being like, here's clips from these movies that he did. Yes, that was actually a very organic way to include them and not feel like it was indulgent. Mm -hmm. Um, So I completely agree with that. I know, I'm sure one thing you want to talk about is the the final scene in the movie in the bedroom. Yeah, where uh, Greg goes into her bedroom and uh, he reads the uh, letter that she had written to him. And uh, he, he kind of finds out more about Rachel in that scene than he does throughout the entirety of their relationship together, right. which is kind of poignant. I mean, uh, no, no, um, uh, foreshadowed by uh, uh, yeah, by the conversation he, he has, has with Jay Bernthal, which is actually my favorite scene of the entire movie. The I, conversation that they have, yeah, okay, yeah, yeah which is um, very interesting for me because I feel like that sort of talk, that heart to heart talk, usually happens between a parent and the kid or the kid and his friends where it's a the you know the the kid and the teacher who is played by Jay Bernthal who is great in this movie um they have kind of a weird relationship cuz he eats lunch in his office every day which is kind of bizarre it's it's got shades of uh, the perks of being a wallflower oh, okay where the the dorky now there he's like a freshman but befriends the adult English teacher in a, in a non-creepy way. And like an actual, like, he's going to help him kind of become a better person type thing. But he mentions, and it totally, for me, I assumed it was going to come back later in the film, and it does, that he had went, was it to his father's wake or something like that? And he had heard this story about him from his old drinking buddies that he had not known. He's like, I found out more about my father there than I had from my entire life. He, yeah, he summed it all up by saying, like, just because a human being dies doesn't mean you can't stop learning about them. Which of course. gets paid off hardcore in the fi- very final scene yep. where then, where um, he finds out more about Rachel. So yeah. he just it's, it's just a great wordless scene of him just roaming her bedroom and just looking at all the draw- drawings she's made on the walls and stuff like that. And, and also finding these kind of unusual but wonderfully made uh cut out of book dioramas once again this is i'm telling you this is a wes anderson uh, (laughs) descent as far as like a filmmaker who clearly is just like him and like lets their characters do unrealistic things because that's just they're very elaborate i feel like a part of that scene which it's not it's not like a, a great part, but I thought it was a really, really strong part of that scene is he finds the cutout of his college college book, which he had handed to her saying, well, now you can go pick out universities. And she knows that at that point that she's probably going to die. So she's like, yeah, why would I do that? So, but she had cut out and made the, made the uh, pages of the inside of this book sort of out to be like steps where it goes back to a previous scene where Earl uh, her and he are having popsicles yes. and I feel like that is such an important scene for this film. Greg goes back and sees that this part was very important to Rachel, but it's a great callback for the audience knowing that a scene that happens earlier where they're having popsicles, which to me felt kind of just, you know, random and whatever scene is actually was a very important part of her was, last year together. Yes, so that was, one of my favorite parts about that final scene is that, you know, it's funny because the original scene of them eating the popsicles on the, the stoop of that, you know, corner and whatnot, it, it's actually it's much more of a comedy because they're currently, Earl and uh, Greg are high on a drug because <laughs> they accidentally ate hash brownies or something yeah. like that. And so that scene is very funny because they're just all there trying to eat their popsicle and Greg is like 
just completely jonesy and uh, going out of his mind because he's seen random people and stuff in animal costumes that are not there and whatnot. So it's great that they completely recontextualize what seemed like a just a horrible waste of an afternoon. And like I'm sure he thought he was embarrassing himself in front of Rachel. Like her making that diorama and then of course leaving it for him to find essentially said that that was one of her most favorite moments of her last year because it was probably the one time when because he was high he was not being self-conscious about how to act around her he was acting the way that he would normally act if there wasn't all these built-in filters that he had so it was just like it's just a very beautiful moment where somebody was just you know reminding him that like who you are that was what she was trying to teach him the entire movie it's just who you are when you just yourself is what people are going to love and mm-hmm. we don't need this self-deprecating whatever self-loathing guy that obviously he plays throughout the entire movie right so no yeah that was a, that was a great scene yeah and as we talked about in the first part too about the side characters i already mentioned jay barnthal's character which i i i've liked him more and more every time i've seen him in a film whether it was his his character in um wolf of wall street which was just very much crazy and wild and yelling and screaming and then he has a very different kind of asshole character in the movie fury where he's much he also lost a lot of weight for that movie which is kind of weird but he was like a thin kind of creepy guy who was always giving the main character a hard time and then this movie where he's playing a total different character yeah. and it was awesome he's actually a nice guy <laughs> yeah which is weird but he's definitely has that intimidating sort of thing going on but at the same time he's a very interesting person yeah what's funny about him is that he it's not even so much that he's an intimidating teacher but he feels like that jock that grew up to somehow become a teacher instead Mm. of an like a you know an nfl player or whatever (laughs) so and because in deep down inside that's all he is actually he's just a nice guy and he wants to connect with others so Mm. but of course his complete physical veneer is like i'll beat the shit out of you if you say something like to me that i don't like or whatever so that's why it's just a hilarious tension every time he's on the screen yeah and that was a great part of his character nick offerman's character and molly shannon's character were also very interesting even though they are very much side characters who are for the most part playing stereotypical parents uh, they all they're they're interesting for some reason, and then they they were Molly Shannon in particular, I think, yeah, because her behavior is like in any other film. Well, in this film, it, it was funny because our theater was laughing at most of the thing that she was saying or whatever. Mm-hmm. However, there's also a hint of sadness behind every comedic thing because we don't get to meet her before her daughter has cancer, so we can't take it. I would think on face value, and she seems like a decent person. So She's a sing- single parent who's. All she has is her one daughter, and, and her daughter's dying. So, so, of course, I mean, how else would that manifest other than just trying to, unfortunately, sometimes creepily, but <laughs> create other meaningful relationship with, you know, the children in her life and whatnot. So that's why I thought, as funny as it was, it was actually pretty wonderfully handled, both by her performance and just by the script, in that it, there was something tremendously sad to it without her saying, like, I'm going to lose my daughter. You know, like, going yeah. down that cliche, like, breakdown in front of everybody type moment. Like, she was keeping it all together, which was just kind of an amazing thing to see. So, Well, and we talked about comparing this movie to a movie like Juno, where I enjoyed a lot of the parent, the parents in that movie. Yep. Even though they are side, somewhat stereotypical characters, they're only on screen for so much of the movie, and... Uh, I enjoyed every moment that they were on there. I felt the same with this movie, even though I'm not the biggest Nick Offerman fan in the world. A lot of people think he's hilarious and I just, you know, think he's 
okay, but yeah. uh, it depends on what he's doing for me. I thought he was fine in this movie, although he was not a very deep character. He yeah. brought a lot to the movie when you take it back and look at it. So I really liked him in this movie simply because he wasn't playing the typical Nick Offerman character, which is a very machismo. Like what was funny about this was that he was actually pretty, not, I wouldn't say pathetic, because I don't mean it in a bad way, but like he's just a very laid back person, which yeah. is normally not, he normally plays like that guy who's got, you know, suspenders on and whatnot, <laughs> and he's ready to kick ass and take names. Uh, but um, here he was just like always walking around in a bathrobe and, you know, just that laissez faire parenting style. That it was just fun to see him kind of kick loose a little bit. It also makes a lot more sense of why Greg is the way he is when yeah. you see his father who there's a mention of why he's able to just sit around all day that he Maybe has like a, some job that he get he, yeah he's a writer or some sort of professor or something like that where he doesn't he works but he doesn't he he's able to be home not doing a lot every day yep. And, and that tells you right there that he probably, quote-unquote, raised him more than the mother did. Mm-hmm. And so naturally, that, yeah, like you said, that's why Greg turned out the way he did. But there are great payoffs with his character which come out in the in the movie where you don't um, think that they normally would with these kids. But it makes sense. It's not trying to be too emo or anything like that where you talk about them getting together and eating octopus or something like that or... Uh, why would you know seven year old kids do that? But you find out why because of the way Greg's dad is. Yes. So it's yeah. It, there's a lot of interesting dynamics in this movie that get paid off, and some of them right. don't, and some of them are better than others. It, but it might be a cliched script, but at the end of the day, it's a pretty tight script. Like there's not really a wasted scene or anything like that. Which mm-hmm. is, at the end of the day, that's like that's all you could really ask for from a movie is to not waste your time. And this is definitely, for me, scene by scene, very engaging. And the more it does go on, whether the tone does change, obviously, a little bit, but it's still following through with everything that it did lay out. So I thought that was pretty much why I liked it. Well, and this is an interesting movie, as I talked about earlier, that one of my not least favorite parts of the movie, but I was really enjoying this movie when it was a comedy for the first half hour. I thought it was hilarious and pretty well done in terms of the writing with it was interesting and then it becomes a drama i I think a thing that a lot of people who see this film especially critics who talk about how much they like it is you can see movies that are dramedies or dramatic comedies or comedy thriller whatever like that where there's a mixed genre where this film is literally two different genres through two different parts of the movie right and there is a reason for why it has to shift yeah um so, yeah, no, I, I definitely see what you mean. Um, the best thing I can say about this movie, um, now that we're in spoilers, and also to kind of bring up something we already somewhat talked about, but, like, I've talked a lot about how it was cliched at a lot of points and whatnot, and yet when the movie matters most for me, mm-hmm. which is the death scene, yeah. I truly felt like I had never seen that before. Not so much that what it was doing, once again, was revolutionary, but for the first time, the movie just gave in to everything that was great about this movie and not great about other, you know, coming of age and cancer drama. And it just gave me something that I was not expecting, uh, both visually, thematically, and also refrained to, like, comment on it. It's not like the narration then took over um, and then was like, and that was the most powerful moment of my entire life. You know, whatever. It just let that moment exist. And not only that, but it also, the narration did come up, but it just cuts the shortcut that he just said she went into a coma and died. So mm-hmm. it was just like, I just thought the death scene was, when it mattered most, the film 
definitely did not uh, do something I would say formulaic or stereotypical. So that's that's why ultimately I can't really fault this movie for having some more tired and cliched aspects because you know it does pay it off in a unique way. The journey might be familiar, but by the time you get to the end, it's way more rewarding for me than I thought it was going to be. And I totally agree with what you're saying, even though I didn't love the second half of this movie as much as I enjoyed the first half. I see why it was the way it was, and I enjoyed enjoyed it for what it was, even if it wasn't my favorite thing ever. Um, Talked about, right after we saw this film, that something that I thought was kind of weird is that this film is much more about the main character, uh, Greg, and uh, Rachel, their relationship, and Earl is much more of a side character, even more so than some of the other side characters are. He shows up in and out of the movie, but he's kind of an interweaving character, which is basically meant to move the plot along, which not saying that it's bad or anything like that. He, but I, I enjoyed his character and wanted to know more about him. And we just, he, there was not enough time in this movie to delve more into his relationship with Earl and, or anything about Earl at all. So that was weird. <laughs> yeah. I, I would just disagree okay um but i also feel like i'm just gonna repeat myself from the first episode which is it's rachel who i felt like we didn't get to know okay it's 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 earl that it just came fully defined so that's why they didn't spend that much time going over like okay this is exactly why he's this way this is exactly Mm -hmm. there were definitely allusions to that uh but earl himself like I don't know. I feel like the film would have got a little worse had it been more about Earl because, and maybe that's a matter of marketing. Like maybe they shouldn't have called it me and Earl and the dying girl, but I don't know that a increased screen presence with him would have somehow, I feel like it would actually would have made it worse. Cause then it would have felt shoehorned in that like they had to make sure that he had an arc or something like that. When I like the fact that he was simply just there to support his friend and also to, tell him to grow up and whatnot so i guess for me not knowing anything about the film yeah and not knowing anything about the book or going in i pretty much went in dry i didn't even i tried to like not watch the trailer i didn't want to know anything about the movie i assumed that they were going to have like a three-person relationship throughout the movie which they somewhat do but not really like it's more about rachel and greg's relationship together yeah, no, it's, it's definitely a weird uh, marketing technique as far as calling your f- film and your book that. Uh, so I, I don't disagree with that. But the final product is as, it is what it is. And for me, it's, it's much better than at least what they were going for once I've seen the movie now and I know what the tone is going to be like mm-hmm. and how the narration is going to play into it and all that. I More Earl would have actually, I feel like, done a disservice to his character because I thought he was pretty funny because of how sporadically he was used like every time he popped up and then he just kept repeating the word titties and, <laughs> you know like like we don't need to learn more about that it's, yeah it's just funny the way it is so. well and too he has a very important scene later in the film after we talked about uh greg shutting rachel out he does the same thing with earl right after that for the most part yep. and he shows up and fights for greg after when he gets into a fight later and protects him and basically pays off the whole that even though they're not necessarily like having like the same friendship anymore, they're still like not brothers or anything like that, but they're, they have a, that shows that yes, that Earl of course does care for his friend, just Mm -hmm. like Greg does about him. And when push comes to shove, obviously, ah, cause they were fighting. Ah, you're so smart. I'm so clever. Totally (laughs) meant to do that. So, uh, 
other things because we've kind of hit on everything we wanted to talk about. Is there anything else that you want to want to mention here? Not really. I feel like at this point I will be repeating myself okay. between both episodes. But in general, um, the third act, I know you weren't as big a fan as I was. Mm-hmm. So my take is that this is going to be a much more rewarding journey than you might think it would if you're not loving the first act because it does become a different film mm-hmm. and so for that reason alone I, I i i was really quite taken aback by it because while i was liking the the first act i that was another instance of like okay well you know this explaining of high school cliques has been done since the breakfast club mean girls even 21 jump street i mean you yeah. know, like it, it, he's delivering the lines very well and whatnot but it wasn't what it, it wasn't until we got to the emotional heart of this, you know, central conflict that I was truly on board with wanting to see what, what was going to happen and how they, how far they would take it. So I liked the film more as it went on. Yeah. And I liked the film as it went on too. I just did not, I was enjoying the beginning of the film more than I was loving the ending. But again, I think it's hard because you have to separate the film almost as into two separate parts because it does change its tone dramatically. And I think that speaks to why it was so crowd-pleasing at Sundance. There truly is something in here for everybody. I mean, mm-hmm. I don't know, like I said earlier, I don't know how you could watch this and not just kind of enjoy it for what it is. Like, you know, it doesn't mean you have to love it. I don't even love it. But I, it's a, it's just a very entertaining and engaging from scene to scene. It really, I feel like, pays off towards the end of the movie, whether it be the death scene or the scene during her wake. For me, I love the last 10 minutes of this movie, even if the middle to ending part of the second act wasn't my favorite part of the movie. It made the middle seem a little, like more important than it did at first because mm-hmm. now you realize that they were truly setting a lot of groundwork for the, the great emotional kind of gut punch of the last 10 minutes. Another thing about that is that it made me want to see the movie again. So when the movie actually does come out and it's in theater and people are either wanting to go see it or not wanting to go see it, I'll probably want to go see it again. I was going to say, that's the great thing about seeing a preview screening is that by the time I would want to see it again, it'll actually still be in theater <laughs> instead of uh, having to wait till it comes out on, uh, on home video or something. Yeah. So, uh, again, if you, uh, I'm assuming you hopefully listen to the first part of this episode, but uh, we both gave this a three and a half out of five, so we're both recommending it, and you should uh, go check it out if you have the means to uh, when it does come out. I believe the technical release date is June twelfth. I don't. Yeah, that's the limited release date, so I'm assuming we sh- they should be open wide by July. Yeah, but it should again, as uh, Nick mentioned, that this probably will get a pretty wide release at some point. But even so, I mean, we we went to the advanced screening. We took an hour to get down there to the city and whatnot. And I don't think either of us regret it. So no, if you if you if there's nothing in theaters in come July, which of course is going to be impossible because that's blockbuster season. But yeah. if you're tired of the blockbuster, then you could somehow get away and go see it. I I still recommend it. Yeah, and it's uh, definitely as Nick said has a has something for everybody for the most part throughout the film. And even if you like more parts of the movie than others, which think happens with every movie i don't think there's any movie where you can even if you're watching a movie like the godfather and you're saying oh i like the whole thing you know usually people have parts of that movie that they like more and that's pretty standard so um but this is definitely a movie that had changes tone throughout and has different parts of it but uh we would both recommend that you see it and uh, we'd probably both see it again so thank you very much for uh, listening to these two parts of uh the film tanks bonus episodes on me and earl and the dying girl 
And uh, we will catch up with you on our next episode. So take it easy and bye-bye. <laughs>